Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Well, Kyle, I see you have already subconsciously opened your crisps before we started rolling film. But it's not my fault. What are I we talking about today? Subconscious and conscious decisions is your overeating or adequate eating your conscious fault or is it just in your genes and brain? This is a concept that it sounds a lot like people making a religious argument about whether people have free will or they don't have free will, uh, specifically when it comes to food decisions. So are we Calvinist when it comes to eating or not or in between? Um, we'll talk a lot about this, but there's actually a lot of clinical literature, which we love to dive into. And um, I guess this is technically an after hours episode, but we will be talking a lot about the literature when it comes to deciding when to eat and how. Yeah. So I guess you have the two extremes like we spoke about earlier. So you have people that say it's just willpower, just work harder, just eat less and exercise. And then you have people that say that, I guess the, I don't think they say it ever in absolutes that there's like no way somebody can stop eating. And specifically, we're not talking about genetic obesity syndromes like melanic Horton receptor or leptin mutations, but mm -hmm. um, your average run of the mill obesity. So we said what about 50% of the population are certainly heading that way in the near future. Yep. But on the other end of that, you have people who will say that your relative input and trying to lose weight is only a, what they don't put a percent on it, but say it's a, a very small input, 5% of the equation, something like that. Yeah, you can't help it. You're just genetically too hungry or epigenetically too hungry, or the environment is just full of too many hyper palatable foods and there's nothing that public health initiatives and education can do about it. And I guess one question that we could ask is on this, vicious debate of both sides. Do we have to pick a side? Well, let's pick a piece of literature on one side of this argument. So um, maybe it's not even about taste, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just that when these foods hit your gut, they you become hardwired to sense those nutrients, right? So they can make mice to where they can't even taste anything and they still choose high fat foods. Mm -hmm. that, they can't even taste them. They don't know they taste good, but they're still choosing those foods for a reason. So you could argue that that's an instinct that's subconscious, it's built in, and people are going to do that. And then on the other side, uh, I present the case of um, hypothalamic damage, but it is self-induced, specifically from eating mm -hmm. foods that are high in carbohydrates, high in fats, sugar. Yep. sodium, sugar, and relatively low in protein. And we know that people tend to increase consumption of calories overall and of those specific foods. And they crave those foods whenever they have a stretch, I believe a few days to a week where they consume um, those sorts of foods or treats. So 
you can make a situation worse by doing that. So to me, that points to having a little bit of control. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, everyone eats. Uh, there's definitely instinct to eat. An analogy to that would be individuals who uh, have become addicted to opioids are always predisposed to that, whether it has to do with the limbic system, whether it has to do with the, um, well, the hypothalamus is part of the limbic system, sort of, with the amygdala and the hippocampus. But um, what various uh, neural signaling cascades that has to do with, and it's kind of similar for sugar. That's why some medications like the Contrave, which is bupropion naltrexone, can be particularly helpful in some individuals. But then again, uh, it seems like everybody who does the show Naked and Afraid ends up losing weight. Yeah, so there certainly is you know, the environment, which can be manipulated to an extreme. And one of the most successful strategies I see are individuals who use meal replacements. And you know, I tell people, you know, whatever your problem meal of the day is, then you know, replace that meal, have something ready-made. Um, whether you're cooking that yourself or getting a meal replacement, like just do that. And then you've sort of eliminated that daily challenge. You're reducing a barrier to getting to the outcome you want to. Mm -hmm. What about, um, you made the analogy of you know, addiction, and there certainly is some overlap there if we're looking at a Venn diagram of um, you know, eating disorders and obesity and then addiction. There's certainly some overlap between these. Um, but it seems like bulimia would have more overlap with addiction compared to um, just your standard brand obesity. And bulimics don't have the highest BMI. Uh, there's a compensatory behavior yeah. there, whether it's excessive exercise or purging. Mm -hmm. So I, I find that interesting that it's not a like, you know, dose dependent. It's not that people require more and more food over time in bulimia to get the same effect. Yeah, and bulimia is definitely um, a binge-related disorder. There's also a general disorder called binge eating disorder. And often, when indicated, healthcare providers pick things like bupropion naltrexone or even Vyvanse for these indications. But, um, yep, the run-of-the-mill obesity that um, a lot or even most Americans have, it's pretty close to 50% obesity, and um, even more than that are overweight, and then even more than that are of normal BMI, but skinny fat, low lean body mass, high body fat percentage, and then even more of that have um, good metabolic health, which we've defined in previous podcasts, but about probably about 10% of people have good metabolic health all in all. Yeah, I think you've seen, I've seen studies that say it's like 5% if you're accounting for like existing diseases like hypertension or someone has known artery, arterial disease, yeah. but now they're metabolically healthy. They, they still don't fall into that healthy category. So mm -hmm. I think 5 to 10 is a pretty good estimate. When we uh, you know, talk about addiction in the terms there, like you know, we say someone is uh, uh, an alcoholic or, or someone is a smoker. What's the difference um, in saying someone is obese, uh, you know, an obese person or a person with obesity, PWO, as I've seen it abbreviated in some literature? Yeah, um, it's interesting that we keep coming up with these different terms. We used to have morbid obesity and even super morbid obesity. Now we have classes, class one, class two, class three, especially with, and that is useful, especially in pediatric obesity. But for adults with obesity, I don't think it's um, 
necessarily needed. But the reason why it's often used and why all these terms come up is because of provider physician rapport, or sorry, of patient physician rapport. Um, and uh, regardless of the individual, if you're seeing someone with obesity, there's basically a chance that you can lose the connection. Um, and some people say, well, it's just hurt feelings, but it does indeed affect care downstream. And what we do know is that this happens disproportionately in the United States, especially when compared to other countries with low rates of obesity. Yeah, because there's um, like the cultural acceptance of something. And if you go back to the way that, you know, I said a smoker, right, or a person who's addicted to cigarettes, I, I don't know how we would like if we went back to like the 1970s and tried to make some sort of, you know, word salad to not offend smokers. Yeah. Um, they're still called smokers today, but nope. it was very culturally, culturally accepted. You had the Marlboro man. He was very cool and He's macho. still cool, by the way. <laughs> still cool, but um, not up anywhere. And now there's a you know push for like plus size mannequins. It's very cool and in vogue. Um, and yeah, I mean, anyone can take up exercise and anyone can improve their health at any size. But promoting, uh, you know, that this BMI is like healthy and that this is what health and this is what, you know, beauty looks like, you know, that's subjective to each person, but health is more objective. And if you're pushing a cultural norm as something that is objectively unhealthy, I don't see how that's working to solve the problem. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely, there needs to be a focus on health and metabolic health. And at some point you just need to have a, a day of reckoning, but in the way that that specific patient can be okay with. And this is different for every individual because some people come in and I say a lot of this from personal experience with family and friends, not even just patients, but let's say there's an individual, a female, and she might step on the scale for the first time in a long time and weigh 215 or 220 pounds. And again, yes, this has happened to somebody very close to me and she could be extremely ups upset, but this person might have great lifestyle habits and they might do a DEXA scan and be close to 20% body fat, which is extremely lean for a female. And in that case, then yes, the weight and the scale is just not just worthless, but harmful. But you might have another individual and um, they might also be stepping on the scale and think everything is fine. My BMI is 25. Um, I weigh 160 pounds, but do a DEXA scan and come back with a body fat percentage in the 40, uh, above 40%. Yeah, it certainly could be the case. And I think we've spoke a bit about in the past this sort of um, false protective effect that you might see with elevated BMI in slightly older persons, because those individuals are less likely to be sarcopenic with a high body fat percentage. So it's mm -hmm. not that you know, bulking up and adding extra body fat in your 50s and 60s is beneficial to your health, but having some additional lean body mass, which is also captured in the BMI, is useful. And, you know, the scale, some people um, will you know, refuse to weigh. You know, it's very, can be offensive. And that's, I think, more limited here to the United States. There's not a lot of great data on this. It's hard to get a gauge of what the cultural norms are. But uh, in a study looking at obesity in Japan, which I think is around 4%, mm -hmm. um, relatively low compared to here. 
uh, only 2% of patients that discussed obesity with their healthcare provider were offended, um, had a like poor reaction. That were obese, by the way. So that's not 50% of obese patients. That's 2% of obese patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that number is well over 50%, I believe 60% in this country. Yeah, there's not a great, like how many people were offended interacting with their doctors when they're obese, but a specific statement here made was over 60% of patients complained that their physicians did not truly understand how difficult it was to be overweight. So to me, that sounds like these individuals were a bit offended or perhaps at least unsatisfied Mm -hmm. with their reaction or interaction with their healthcare providers in a discussion surrounding obesity. And that was in the United States. So 30 times more offended by, you know, the topic of weight apparently came up at some point during the visit and the patient's takeaway was, well, they don't understand. Yeah. And even if someone is not obese, it does not necessarily mean that they don't understand. And even if they have been in the past, like I've publicly talked about, um, my large weight change and my loss of 40 pounds of body fat. Um, and obviously I understand a lot of the lifestyle factors that went into that. I had an unlimited amount of hyper palatable food. Well, not hyper palatable, palatable cafeteria foods during residency had, um, my first child and I was also very busy, mostly working night shifts. My sleep was terrible. I was not exercising as much. And although I was eating a very low carb diet with almost no liquid calories, I just enjoyed a hyper consuming foods. And one day I just realized, um, well, I didn't realize, but my wife realized when she was scrolling (laughs) through pictures, seeing, oh, wow, used to have abs. (laughs) Um, And uh, and I'm particularly tall and lanky as well. So it was harder to notice even with all that extra weight. But yeah, I stepped on a scale, didn't get a DEXA, wish I had gotten a DEXA, but worked it off with just a lifestyle. So diet and exercise and and better sleep too. So I guess I used the the three pillars and it was not particularly, I guess it was easy to get to that spot. But once I made that habit change and my habit was set in stone, that in and of itself actually became really fun and rewarding. Yeah, I think if people see a little bit of an initial change, right? So something happens in that first month that they're making an effort they're a lot more likely to continue down that path. So whether they uh, join a gym and they're, they're doing a class with you know, people and getting new social interactions and there's some novelty to it, or um, even if someone starts a, a new supplement, right? Even if the supplement's not particularly effective, you know, there's a lot of scams out there, a lot of supplements that aren't part- uh, particularly effective, but it's something that gets a person to make a change. It's a catalyst. And then if that person sees results early on, they, I think they're more likely to sustain that habit. Um, whereas if somebody is not putting all the pieces together and, and maybe all they do is start, um, you know, walking um, 20 minutes a day, but they're also eating more calories because they're hungrier because they're moving more, their energy expenditure is going up. Mm-hmm. And maybe they are even recomping a little bit from something like that, right? Yeah. But the scale doesn't move. They're going to be quite disappointed, which... You know, I think the, the DEXA would be a great standard for looking at somebody's body composition. Um, but realistically, when you're looking at a you know high BMI, BMI of 30, I'm not sure I understand the, um, 
distaste that so many healthcare professionals have for a BMI of 30, because yep. if you, you have a BMI of 31, but 99% chance that you truly do need to make some changes to improve your long-term health. Yeah, if you take 100 random people off the street, they all have BMIs from 30 to 35, which a lot of people with BMIs of 30 to 35, they're not even perceived as having too high of weight. Um, likely none of them will be metabolically healthy. Maybe one if there happens to be a very short elite athlete with a lot of lean body mass, probably on exogenous hormones and PEDs as well. Um, so probably not healthy, but perhaps that one in Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online masters of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details individual is metabolically healthy. Yeah. So if we want to, let's take your case study and we want to blame genetics and environment. Um, is it the fault of the hospital for making you work night shift and for providing cafeteria food that's not particularly high volume, low caloric density? Or perhaps that food isn't taxed enough. It was too easily affordable. Yeah. Um, I would say it is definitely not the hospital's fault. Um, it's definitely not my wife's fault or my baby's fault. And it's also not the fault of my genetics, although there is a strong genetic predisposition, at least on paper. Um, the incidence of obesity is very high in the Gillette family. Um, and the incidence of diabetes is also very high in the Gillette family. So I suppose you could make that case but um, as I've kind of talked about before, um, that's I, part of what I think makes me a good healthcare provider is because I've really had to work at it. So I'm not um, genetically predisposed to be particularly, um, you know, uh, easy to gain lean body mass. And I also gain body fat pretty easily as well. So you're a mesomorph. <laughs> <laughs> like an endomorph that gains body fat pretty easily. But... Um, for being tall and relatively coordinated. So I'm not like blaming my genetics. You know, I'm happy with the hand that I've been dealt. And even if I wasn't, I would still be happy to work with it. But um, it, it is uh, classically hard for myself and also my brothers as well 
to put on lots of lean body mass. And at least for myself and my older brother, quite easy to put on a lot of body fat. Interesting. So it sounds like there was free will and a decision. And this was something that you did consciously. Whereas you know, perhaps there was some kind of a you know, subconscious or a slow trickle into gaining unwanted weight, but you were able to make a decision. And I think the, the problem with an overly reductionist viewpoint is like, yeah, I say, oh, well, it's genetics and environment. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that could really explain every single behavior and interaction in the world, it including could. murder and whether that outcome is good or bad depends on the cultural norms. If we go back a thousand years, then 2000 years, I mean, murder was pretty culturally acceptable. Maybe farther than that. Maybe a little farther than that. Yeah. Um, but at some point, almost everything was culturally acceptable at some point. But I guess the takeaway with that is in today's culture, it like regardless of what is the genetic predisposition, it's not an excuse. If you're genetically predisposed, that should be fuel on the fire to motivate you to have those uh, evidence-based lifestyle changes and habit formation that is even more important. So it's not like you blame it and you say, all right, well, let's just depend on a surgery or a medication. Yes, you can use medication and even surgery as tools, but that just means you should have all the more impetus to make that lifestyle change and figure out a way to make the effort of that lifestyle change, whether it's diet or exercise, feel best. Yeah, and I think personally, I'm a lot more sympathetic now to individuals who struggle with weight or obese persons. Those people I used to think, oh, well, you know, they just, they don't want it bad enough. And I, I still maybe think to myself a little bit that like, if they wanted to become healthy more, once you want something bad enough and you're working hard enough at it, you can generally achieve that. But the way that I frame it for myself is like, how would I feel eating, you know, a thousand calories a day? I was like, oh, I'd be pretty hungry. Maybe that person has a subjective craving or a subjective hunger pang eating 3000 calories a day. That's the same as what I have eating a thousand calories a day. And if that was myself, you know, I had to eat a thousand calories a day to maintain my weight. Um, just speaking in terms of the appetite there, that would be difficult for me to do. Um, would I let myself get a little fluffier, a little bit higher body fat percentage to not be hungry all the time? Probably so. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I'm not, you know, 6% body fat year round is because yeah. I would be hungry and not necessarily have great energy levels. Probably wouldn't be good for my connective tissue. There's a ton of reasons there, but um, it would be hard for the appetite reason as well. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I framed it to like put in context and try and understand where someone's from, where someone's coming from when they're just like, you know, I've tried and I you know, can't do it. You know, they've tried or they haven't found what works for them you know, up to this point or yep. yet. So that's sort of a, a viewpoint. And at a certain point, if I started having health complications, right? So I say, well, you know, you're, you're diabetic. You've really got to, you know, eat less calories. You really need to eat a thousand calories or, you know, again, the hunger analogy. At that point, if I'm looking and you know, forecasting what my health is going to be like, that's probably going to be enough of a catalyst for me to change and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be fun, but I'm going to make my health a priority. Yeah, definitely. Um, at the end of the day, 
your health and your health span is the built-in game that for whatever reason you believe that we've been put here, we are here playing this game. And yes, in some sports, you're not allowed to use performance enhancing drugs or this or that. But in some video games, you know, you don't want to cheat or whatnot. But medications and supplements are the tools that we are fortunate enough to have today. Yes, we have the epidemic of obesity, but we also have these tools that we can use that are not against the rules. You have um, obesity medicine physicians and clinics like ours that can help you use these tools. And you don't abuse the tool. And ideally, you don't want to make that tool become a crutch. But if, if I'm ever in a situation where my body composition, or in some cases, um, even just health, regardless of body composition, is at a plateau and I need to get to a better spot, then I will absolutely use those tools when lifestyle isn't enough. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to use the things that are available and you know, definitely hedge on the side of improving your health sooner rather than later. Um, you, know, you can make a analogy here with cardiovascular disease because it's like, you, you know, you get one shot at this game, right? And yep. you want to have the best outcome. So do you gamble and think, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to be one of those people that doesn't have problems because of this. Yeah. If you were controlling yourself from, uh, I forget what the name of the controller is, but if you're controlling you see your hearts going down, yeah. right? You're down to two hearts, one heart, two hearts, half one heart. hearts. Yep. And then the heart is just flickering off and on. There's signs that uh, something is not right. Your calcium score is increasing. Your clearly CCTA is increasing. You've had AFib, you've had congestive heart disease, you've had a blood clot. Uh, when those warning signs are flickering, um, maybe take a, what is it called? An astral view, an astral projection. See yourself as an organic machine and then ask yourself again, do you want to um, like more aggressively or less aggressively address this? And again, it starts with lifestyle factors. Um, I guess one thing that makes me think of is um, you're mentioning someone hungry on 3,000 calories a day. We haven't talked about hyperphagia syndromes or Bardet beetle or things like that yet. Yeah. And those are things that we're specifically you know, not talking about in the context of these general principles. Um, those things are, you know, what, a, one like a nearly 100% clinical penetrance rate. And yeah, one in a million, or as, as we like to say, 70% of the population. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People like to think that they have a, a rare cause for their common condition. Um, speaking of which, I guess there's a, a common number of um, pitfalls or uh, things that people like to blame for a lack of weight loss. Mm -hmm. um, we can talk about hormones, specifically thyroid hormone, the gut microbiome. Um, yeah, let's start with that. Thyroid hormones. Are thyroid hormones the reason people can't lose weight? They are very seldom the reason why people can't lose weight. But if someone is gaining weight, especially from their baseline, or they've kind of broken through their normal and are gaining weight quickly, that's kind of a red flag for the incidence of hypothyroidism. But um, needing thyroid hormones optimized is not a reason why you're not losing weight. Yeah. And I've seen claims made that you're, if you are like very, excuse me, in a very hypothyroid state that you may have a metabolic rate 10% slower than what your baseline should be. Um, and you probably will be less active if you have less yeah. energy. So it, 
can be a contributing factor, but the odds of someone you know, being in a traditional healthcare environment and, and getting a case of like major hypothyroidism missed, yeah. I think is quite slim. Yeah, this would be caught with uh, thyroid labs. Um, microbiome wise, uh, we've talked before about carbs and I think maybe even non-nutritive sweeteners or perhaps that's coming up. Um, there are many things that you can put into your gut that do not add to your energy balance because they're not absorbed. For example, if you take Orlistat, you're not going to absorb your fat, you lose weight. And the microbiome can have some very small effects that are similar to this. Like explosive diarrhea. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> if you have explosive diarrhea with carbs and fat in it, then you are indeed not absorbing those calories. Yeah. So I think this is a really interesting, this, this paper has came out and I haven't done a deep dive into it, but the claim put forth is that eating a microbiome healthy diet, so low in processed foods, high in fiber, uh, decreases the amount of calories someone absorbs from their diet by about 100 calories per day. So the calories are passing through the digestive system. And then on the flip side of this, you have people saying that, well, you know, you're, you're getting some calories from that fiber you're eating. So you, you eat fiber and you think you're not getting calories, but there's actually, you know, one to two to four, depending on the type of fiber we're yep. talking about, uh, calories in that fiber. So this kind of, they push back against each other very nicely. You have, it's like, well, people aren't eating enough fiber to begin with. Um, and, you know, that's not the reason that they're gaining weight. And then people add fiber in and it also doesn't seem to like you're adding fiber, it doesn't look like you're getting extra calories by any stretch. Mm -hmm. So they sort of cancel each other out as an excuse. You can't blame fiber yep. as an excuse for your, like the reason you're not gaining weight or the reason you are gaining weight, not losing yeah, weight. Yeah, fi fiber <laughs> is uh, definitely not a net positive, if that makes sense, unless it's Vita fiber, which can no longer be called fiber because it has between two and four calories per gram. So uh, some fibers are higher. I think we previously we've mentioned allulose, one of my favorite technically natural sugar, alcohol slash fibers, um, has 0 0.25 calories per gram. So if you have 10 grams of it, that's two and a half calories. If you have 20 grams of it, that's five calories. So that's something that could add up. Um, other things that can add up, small amounts of calories from oil and butter, even a tiny bit on the bottom of a pan. Um, Greg Doucette does a good job of mentioning that. Um, he always wants to use the nonstick. I'm not a fan of nonstick myself. I like cast iron, but you still have to count those calories if you're going to count them. Calories from supplements can also add up. So you're, um, if you're eating 10 different gummy vitamins of various sorts per day, those add up. And then another sort of calories that most people don't like to count is calories after your alcohol, weed, or shrooms, <laughs> or all three of them together. Yeah, those calories don't count. I think you have to do all three of those in order for the calories afterwards to count. Like you check all the boxes and then your gut will give you the go ahead. All right, you can absorb those calories and not have mm -hmm. explosive diarrhea the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting concept of, you know, counting calories versus, you know, the, the intuitive eating. There's a million different plans and protocols and, and ways for people to, to try and lose weight out there. And um, what about eating healthy is too expensive? Ooh, this one. Um, so there is some merit to this because if you're taking your, um, you know, your greens 
supplement, your functional fitness green supplement. At $79 per month. <laughs> yeah. Is that cheap? Maybe I consider that to be relatively expensive. Yeah. I consider that to be extremely expensive. But is that a way to eat healthy? Nope. Uh, that is a supplement. So supplements in general are very expensive. Um, but eating healthy can be extremely cheap. Uh, I like to eat a lot of whole foods, a lot of vegetables. I know you have a, a okay. list of various Now I'm going to move the goalposts. Well, it's not that the foods are too expensive. I don't like the way they taste. So that is a completely different thing. And that's when you should discover hot sauces like I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of other sauces um, and there's a lot of other uh, powders and whatnot. There's things that have high salt. There's things that have a lot of cayenne pepper in them. There's things that have lime. There's a spice. I think it's tagine, but that probably that also has you know cake anti caking agents and whatnot. So you can't really when you can say this or that. And then I think that just goes to show that you can't just tell people this is the best way to have a diet that is not only healthy, it is also tasty, and it is also affordable. But uh, some of the things that we eat, uh, for example, I like to eat a lot of uh, strawberries, which are relatively low price per serving, probably 70 cents a serving. Yeah, frozen berries, they uh, they don't spoil. That's a uh, you know, yep. complaint people have a lot of times about produce. I was like, oh, well, I would buy fruits and vegetables, but they spoil. And that can be solved pretty easily with frozen fruits and mm -hmm. frozen vegetables. And perhaps it's not quite as convenient. Um, so then it, it becomes a matter of not... Not the cost and not the taste, but the culinary skills to prepare those. So yep. you, you move the goalposts again. It's like, well, you know, it's too hard for people to cook that. And then you look at, um, well, what do people need to do to get culinary skills in today's environment? Anything. I mean, you just ask, ask ChatGPT how to prepare a healthy meal that's affordable. Look on YouTube. There's lots of great videos yep. out there. So people just have to cut back from their average of three hours of TV watching, maybe spend 30 minutes of that time looking at how to prepare a healthy meal instead. So then it, it kind of becomes, a, well, I don't have time to do that. It's like, well, what are you spending your time doing? And there may very well be some people out there who don't have a spare moment of time to do that. But the vast majority of people could swap out some TV time for some learning how to prepare healthy foods time. Yep. And if there is truly not a moment that you can swap out, then hopefully that the other moments are productive enough in the game of life for better or for worse. Currency is something that is used to where you can use a meal service to make you extremely healthy food. Um, and perhaps if you're busy, then one of the things that you're doing is growing your own potatoes, beans, and peas in your backyard, like my family does. Um, but now that I know that they're cheap at the grocery store, I might stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, another tip you might pick up on is you know, getting rid of that cast iron. It's a pain to clean. If you just switch over to nonstick like myself, um, don't worry about those forever chemicals. The best way to get rid of them is exercise. Yeah. I'll stick with my cast iron with my two HFE hemochromatosis snips. We'll see how <laughs> that goes. <laughs> All right. So what else? Um, anything else that we need to dive into? Um, perhaps you could even finance your healthy foods with Klarna with four easy payments I'm over sure, six weeks. Yeah, I'm sure it's possible. You were telling me about how even Chipotle um, is financeable, but uh, I guess you could make the case that, if, uh, you know, you could even go to Whole Foods and you could get 
a meal of chicken breast, cans of sardines. I actually had a can of sardines for uh, breakfast this morning and quite low price per serving. Um, way less than $10 a meal, that's for sure. Probably $2 a And meal. something a lot of people don't think about is that a can of sardines is also a very effective form of birth control. Uh, people won't <laughs> want to mate with you if you're always carrying around and eating sardines. So just another yep. example of cost savings. I Sardine, consider it more of an investment. Sardines and mackerel are both good for that. <laughs> to some degree, salmon and tuna. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, hopefully people have gotten a lot of tips for efficiency and whatnot. I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap it up before we finish our crisps here. Um, hopefully we, even though it's an after hours podcast, we've given people some tools to develop a balanced approach for health. And as always, thank you for your time. May God give you health and happiness. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.